Amen. Thanks, Jason. Carne asada tacos. Come on, somebody. Right? Okay, like three of you. Three of you are on board for that. Uh, The problem about talking about food right before we get started with preaching is that we could end up thinking about lunch. I I guess better make it short today. Hey, it's good to see you all uh, on the Sunday following Easter. I pray that you've had just an amazing week uh, and that God is just meeting you in incredible ways in your life. Um, I do want to mention in in a couple of weeks, Mother's Day is coming up, and uh, we love celebrating moms here at Thrive Church, and so I want to encourage you, come and be a part of that service, Uh, invite your mom, invite any moms that you know. We're going to have some special things that morning uh, specifically for moms to just bless them and, and honor them. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment with a promise is the one that says, honor your mother and your father. And, uh, and, and I know that, that that verse means a lot more than just honoring moms on a Sunday morning, but it definitely can be a part of that. And so please come be a part of that Sunday. Uh, again, we're going to just have some fun things going on that week. Hey, if you would open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 19 and Hebrews chapter 10. Matthew 19 and Hebrews 10. Like I said, it was Easter Sunday last Sunday, and uh, we had a great time celebrating with the Lord. So blessed that that people came to know Jesus uh, last week, not just here at this church, but around the world, that there are those who made a decision for the first time and said yes to the Lord and walking with Him uh, for eternity, which is pretty amazing. Um, You know, Easter is always a time of year where we come together and we celebrate what God has done, and we remember what God has done for us when He died on the cross, that Jesus broke the the chains of sin and death and brought forgiveness for our sin once and for all, securing our eternity. As we go into this Sunday, I'm starting a two-part series this week and next week uh, entitled Made Perfect, Made Perfect. And you can see there's a, a, a pottery jar up on that screen up there, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. So, of course, last week was an incredible reminder of what Jesus has done, that the power of sin and death has been broken in our lives, that we have this eternal relationship with God. And so, of course, in response to that reminder, none of us at all went out this week and sinned, right? Right? We, we just got it right all week long. You had, like, no temptation, no giving in, no problems, no bad attitudes, nothing, right? Right? Yeah. No. So what gives? What gives? What's up with that? We were affected by sin this week in the form of our car being stolen. A first for us, maybe you'd seen it on uh, social media, it's a weird feeling to have your car stolen. It's really weird. And, uh, and, and Micah had driven the, the car to school, so he was on campus at a Bible college. And lying in the back of our car from last Sunday was the cross that was laying, standing right here. It was laying across the seats. We have surveillance footage of the thieves managing to get the tailgate open, and the guy crawls in and crawls over the top of the cross... Right? The week after Easter. 
I'm like, wow, okay, Lord. Um, and uh, we were so blessed by, by everyone who uh, has just been praying. Um, I'm happy to report, I, and I, I, happy is kind of a, a I'm, I'm still working on it. it. The car was found at 5 o'clock this morning, which means I got a call from a L.A. County Sheriff at 510. Um, so it's been a busy morning already. Funny enough, it was just less than a mile away in San Dimas, parked in a neighborhood. Uh, and of course, lots of bits and pieces have been, uh, of course, not gently stripped out of the car, but more ripped out of the vehicle. And uh, uh, so guess what I'm doing this afternoon? I have to go get my, my car. Here's the crazy part. There's like four parking tickets on the vehicle. <laughs> right? Isn't that nuts? But hey, sin touches our lives. Whether it's through someone else's life, in, and let's just be honest for a second, in our own lives. There's things that we do knowing that Jesus died on the cross for us. Knowing that he broke the power of death and of the grave and of sin in our lives. And we have that incredible reminder on an Easter Sunday and then we go into our week. And it's probably not too long before we're going, wait a minute. Why am I back at this point? I love the words of Paul in the book of Romans where he says, why do I keep doing the things I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things that I know that I'm supposed to do? And he expounds on that. He keeps saying it over and over again because he's just frustrated. I imagine at times you as well and I am as well frustrated by the fact that I know that Jesus died for me, yet I'm dealing with this junk and this garbage in my life. So like I said before, what gives? What's up with this? This picture up on the screen, in fact, we can go to the next slide and get a better view of this. Uh, You can see there's some cracks that have been filled in this piece of pottery. What you're looking at is an ancient Japanese art form called, I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Kintsugi. Kintsugi. And what Kintsugi is, is they take a, a, a piece of pottery or a plate or, or something like that and, that has broken and they take the pieces and they put it back together with a lacquer that is made out of gold dust. And so what you're looking at in those cracks is actually gold. And rather than discarding whatever that piece would be, that item would be, or trying to cover up the brokenness, what they actually do is is fill in the broken pieces with something that is actually more valuable than the item itself. And there's a whole philosophy that goes into it in Japanese culture that talks about the value of things that are even broken. I tell you, though, the things that we see in the world around us, the philosophies of this world come from somewhere. And things like this, philosophies like this, and perspectives like this are firmly rooted in the heart of God, are firmly rooted in the heart of God. You see, we live in a disposable culture where things can just be thrown away, where things, when they break and when when they're not functioning well, we don't fix things anymore, do we? we? We... we take them and we discard them. There's a cobbler in downtown Glendora, guy who fixes shoes. And I walk by that store and I wonder, how on earth does he stay in business? <laughs> right? 
Because I can't remember the last time I took a pair of shoes to someone to get repaired. I, I wear them out, I throw them away, and I get a new pair. But it used to be a time where you wore a pair of shoes not until the soles wore out, until the upper portion of the shoe wore out. And then still you would find a way to fix it. See, we live in a disposable culture where things just get thrown out. This is a great reminder of what it means to take something that's broken and bring restoration to it, which is ultimately the heart of God. You see in Isaiah 64, verse 8, the prophet Isaiah writes this, Yet you, Lord, our Father, you are Lord, our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are the clay and you are the potter. You are the artist and we are the result of what you have done. And what this word tells us, what this verse reminds us of is this fact that we do not have the ability to fix our own lives. That we cannot in and of ourselves bring repair and wholeness to the brokenness of our lives, which is why we celebrated Easter. It's why Jesus came. This is the power of the cross, the ability to restore. And can I tell you, if he made us, he can fix us. And when he fixes us, it's not that he gets us as close to original condition as possible. He makes us better. He takes the broken parts of our lives and restores them in such a way that the, the, the whole at that point is worth more than what it was before. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord and your journey with Jesus. I imagine for most of us, there's been seasons of feeling like you're on a roller coaster. And there's days where you're going, Jesus, I am in love with you and things are going great. And this day, this, today or this week, I've managed to not mess up a whole lot. And I feel like I'm, you know, at the pinnacle on the mountaintop. And then there's weeks that we look back and go, whoa, didn't do this that great this week. I didn't resist. I wasn't able to stand as firm as I would have wanted to stand. I had some attitudes. I said some things. I, I had some thoughts that I know didn't honor Jesus, and I'm not feeling at the top of my game, and there's just this back and this forth that we can experience. But when we understand that God's desire is not to discard us, but to restore, to take the broken pieces of our lives and put them back in together in a way that is good for us and brings glory and honor to Him. This is why Paul is able to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, he says these words, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Delight's kind of a strong word, isn't it? Right? I delight in minchip ice cream. I delight in that, right? There's things that you're like, oh, that's just good, right? I delight in a good steak. And there's the food again. I don't delight in hardships and weakness. I don't look at my life and the, the broken, weak parts of my life and go, wow, I'm so excited about that part of me. I just delight in that. 
It, it seems counterintuitive, but Paul has, has really tapped into and understands what Jesus is saying in, in the heart of God, in, in, even reflected in that picture. I delight in these things, this brokenness and the persecutions and the difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. And when we meet Jesus in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of the pieces and the shambles of our lives, when we meet Jesus in that, that he brings a strength to our weakness that we could never attain to ourselves, that we could never manufacture and work towards, because listen to me, church, if we could, we would, right? If it was within our ability to do it, we would all be doing it, and we would all be fine, and the reality is we wouldn't need to be here, and we wouldn't need Jesus, but we do because we are fragile. I want to back up a little bit and share a story out of Scripture, an encounter that Jesus had that highlights the wrestle that's going on. So the goal here this week and then also next Sunday is to paint a picture of this, that, that, that we cannot strive to perfection. That you cannot discipline your life in such a way that you will live a perfect way. It's just not going to happen. In fact, it's already too late. It's already too late because there's already brokenness and there are already broken pieces. So you cannot in and of yourself work towards this. So it has to come from somewhere else. That if we've been made perfect, then, then the source is something outside of ourselves. An easy answer would be, well, God, yes, but it's a little deeper than that. We want to press in. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22, Jesus has an encounter with a man uh, and I want to read this to you. The words will be up on the screen, and we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. Starting in verse 16, it says this, Just then, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good, and if you want to eternal, enter, etern, enter life, Keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, and Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. A story that's most likely familiar to many of us this morning, the encounter of Jesus with this rich young man. And the reality is it's a bit of a sad story, isn't it? That he goes away saddened by the encounter, not by Jesus, but by his response to Jesus. So let's look at a couple of things that happen here. He asked this question, 
what good thing must I do? Can we be honest this morning? Have we not all asked that question? God, what thing must I do? What kind of behavior, what kind of effort do I need to put in for you to love me more? To, for you to be more pleased with me, for me to feel more righteous and more holy. To, maybe it even comes from a selfish place. God, what must I do to be better than that person? Awful quiet in here this morning. What good thing, God, must I do? See, this young man is a good guy. He's done the things he's supposed to do, as we'll see in a second. He's done all of the commandments. He's, he's followed those things, yet he knows it's not enough. And so he's asking from a genuine place, God, well, he does, he, it's Jesus, and he knows Jesus has authority. We're not to the God part yet for, in his thinking, but, but he knows there's an answer here. He knows he's going to get something of value. Jesus, what must I do? Tell me, just, tell, just lay it out for me. Spell it out for me. Because I've done all of these things, but, but, but there must be more. There must be more. See, it's important for us to realize that you cannot secure by works things that are secured by faith. You cannot lay hold of by works and by performance and by effort those things that are laid hold of by faith. It will never work. Again, if it could have worked, it would have worked. But it did not Works do not lead to faith. In fact, the Bible tells us that our faith leads to works. We get this out of whack all the time. We even get it out of order in our theology and the way that we disciple people. And we load just like the Pharisees do. Jesus says, stop putting burdens on people that take them away from me. It's not about performance. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about faith in Jesus. We'll talk about that more in a couple minutes. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are, that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So the writer here in Hebrews is referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system, which this young man would have been familiar with because it was tied to the law and to the commandments. And so what God had done is set up a way for people to be able to worship Him and come and make atonement for their sin, but it was an imperfect process. It was an imperfect sacrifice. It was an imperfect system. And so, so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, even though you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, it's never going to make you perfect. How frustrating would that be? But it's all that they had. It's all that they had. You fast forward a couple thousand years up to this moment now where there's this young man who's educated, he's wealthy, he's successful, he's got everything he needs except for the fact that he knows that he's not perfect. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What good thing must I do to be closer to God? See, because he's stuck firmly in an Old Testament law system, a sacrificial system that can never make perfect, no matter how many times it was done 
over and over and over again. And Jesus knows this. And so he challenges him. What do you need to do? Well, you know the commandments. You've got to keep those. And, and of course, the young man says, well, which ones? Which, it's kind of a funny question, right? Uh, all of them. What's the bare minimum I need to do to get in? And it reveals a little bit of his heart already. I'm desperate for this, but not so desperate because I'm already looking for an out. So which ones do I need to? So Jesus kind of spells out. He gives some of the biggies, right? He hits on the big ones. He's like, okay, well, let's talk about some of the things that you would, would rise to the top for you. Don't kill anyone. Don't cheat on your spouse, right? Th these are the things. Don't do these things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done those things. And, and you would think that in this moment that he would feel some sense of peace. Okay, right on. But no. He asks this next question. What do I still lack? See, now Jesus, Jesus is coming to him, and he's not setting him up for failure. What Jesus is doing is painting a picture and saying, listen, you know what God requires, but it's not enough. Jesus knows that it's not enough. The reason he knows that is because he's about to be enough. He's about to fill, listen to this, the gaps, the cracks, where the Old Testament system was imperfect and broken. Jesus comes and he fills in all the gaps with gold with something so precious and beautiful and makes it whole. So Jesus knows where he's going, but he's trying to point out the fact that, listen, even if you know the right things to do, it's still not enough. And this guy knows it. Why? Because in his heart, in his design, in his very image, in his nature, he knows that something is missing. All creation knew that something is missing. So Jesus... I'm sure with just an incredible amount of tenderness, says, okay, you want to know? I'll tell you. Go and sell your stuff. Get rid of the things that you are hanging on to, the things that are, you're clinging to in your life, the things that define you and make you who you are. Go get rid of those things and then come and follow me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says this, For by one sacrifice, he was made perfect. He has made perfect forever those who were being holy, made holy. <laughs> Jesus, by his one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Who? You and me. He has made us perfect forever. And he's making us right. holy. We need to unpack that a little bit because it's like, well, well, which one is it? It's both end. It's both end. Go and sell what you have. Give it away. And come and follow me. He 
couldn't do it. See, he's looking for a solution that's based in his performance and what he's able to do. But when it comes down to it, the things in his life had such a hold on him that he couldn't let go. And he missed the very desire of his heart. He missed the thing that he was looking for. And can I tell you what's so hard about this story is that Jesus doesn't keep arguing with him or try and convince him to stay. He gives him the option, tells him what he needs to do, and it says that he went away sad. And we never hear any more about the story. We don't know what happens next, the, right? The hope would be like, we're, we love the happy ending. Well, maybe he met Jesus on another day. But the reality is this young man is no different to so many of us. And really anyone who's lived throughout all of history. Because we all have things that lay a hold of our lives. In his case, it was wealth. And it's easy to look at this verse in this passage and go, oh yeah, those rich people. But the reality is, is I mean, if we're going to base it on, on just money, the fact is that the reality is that you sitting in this room puts you, right, in the top couple of percent of the world in regards to wealth. But it's more than about money. What Jesus is saying is, listen, there will be things in your life that want to hang on to you and hold you where you are. And that can be wealth, and that can be possessions, and that can be careers, and that can be people, and that can even be our brokenness. But if we're not willing to say, God, I'm, I'm ready to go, let go of those things and come and follow you, we will stay stuck in that place. But I believe the reason for that is we don't understand that we've already been made perfect. See, the problem is, is in another verse in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Come on, how many of you have read that and just been like, oh, I stink? Anyone? Like a handful of you. That's a hard verse. When God tells you, be perfect, and you're like, but I'm not. I'm not perfect. God, you're asking me to do this, and every time I make a mistake, I, these words, be perfect, well, I guess I'm not perfect, and we kind of go around this mountain, and we feel like we're playing this cosmic game of shoots and ladders, right? And I'm like all the way back, and I feel like I'm making some headway, and I'm getting ahead, and oh man, I've got to start all over again. But here's the reality is Jesus isn't talking about that. See, because the whole passage before this in Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about love. He's not talking about performance. He's not talking about the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the, the things we get right and the things that we get wrong. Why? Because he knows that's a problem for us. And he's making another way to deal with that. What he's saying is this, if you want to be like me, love like me. If you want to be perfect like God is perfect, learn to love like God loves. It's here in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it says, right, an eye for an eye and, and all of that and, 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 and curse your enemies. And he says, but I'm telling you, love your enemy, enemies and pay, pray for those, or pay for them, either way. Pray for those who persecute you. Lord, I don't want to do that. And then he goes, well... 
then we're struggling in the perfection part. See, it's about how we love, not about what we do. We have this call to perfection, yet we know that we're not perfect, and it's a wrong perspective. I don't feel that. I can't do that. I am not that. But perfection in God's kingdom is not a matter of performance. It's got nothing to do with your ability, and it has everything to do with your standing. It's a matter of what God has declared about who you are. See, because of the cross of Jesus Christ and His work at Calvary and His resurrection from the dead, what the Bible tells us is this, is that we stand blameless before God. That we are made righteous. That we are made perfect forever by the work of Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says. It's about our standing. There's two words that help us understand this. The first is the word justification. See, what Jesus did at the cross and when we put our faith in him and we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I surrender my life to you. And we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead then what happens is that Jesus justifies us and he puts us in a place of right standing before God. And it's done. It's not like, oh, I move you a step closer and it's contingent on. No, he just does the work because he is a perfect sacrifice. And so he justifies us. He puts us in a place of blamelessness before the Lord. But then he also says in Hebrews that we're being made holy. So if I'm blameless before God, how am I being made holy at the same time? You know that there's just some things in Scripture that you have to go, okay, I know I cannot fully wrap my brain around this, but I have to trust that God knows what he's talking about. The second word that we want to highlight is this. So we have justification, but then there's this process of sanctification, where God says, I know that you're messed up. Can I tell you this morning? God knows that you are messed up. <laughs> it's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to God that you struggle, that after Easter Sunday, the day that you celebrated God's death and his resurrection from the dead and everything he's secured, it's not a surprise to him that you went through the week and maybe didn't do the greatest job of not sinning. Because he knows that we're a work in progress. And so he says, listen, I've put you in a place where you're justified and you are blameless before God. But we also recognize that there's some things that need to be continued to work, be worked out in your life. And he's on your side to do that work. He's with you. He's standing in a place where he says, I want to do this. I want to go take you through a process of making you holy. And, and, and here's the thing, church. The process of sanctification is not about throwing out the old and getting something brand new. The process of sanctification is God taking the pieces and putting them back together and knitting them back together with his presence and his love and his grace and his mercy and making something that is actually more beautiful and valuable after the fact. And rather than hiding the brokenness and hiding the areas of struggle, which, come on, let's be honest, that's what we want to do. 
I want to ignore the, the, the stuff that I struggle with and don't let anyone know about that, including God. And I'm just going to try and present the best version of me that I possibly can. And we slip immediately back into performance, back into a system that God's going, I, you don't need that because like, you have this. And if you understood what that, the, the declaration of perfection over our lives, the freedom that that brings, we'd be able to say, great God, here's the pieces of my life. And we can trust Him with that. Trust that He is going to know what to do because He is the potter and we're still just clay. We're still just fragile and broken and brittle and at times falling apart. See, one commentator put it this way. See, in Christ we are free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Because of the work of Jesus, we are free from the penalty of sin and we are free of the power of sin. But while we are still on this earth, we are not free from the presence of sin and the possibility of sin. I like that. So we are free from the penalty and we are free from the power of sin, but we are still in a place where there is the presence of sin and temptation and there is the possibility of it in front of us. But sometimes we live our lives in such a way that we're not free of the power and we're not free of the penalty which unfortunately keeps us stuck and doesn't cause us to walk in the perfection and the freedom that God has for us. So, so Jesus says to this young man, go and sell everything you have. Go and get rid of everything you think makes you who you are. Go leave those things behind and then trust me enough Trust that I will care for you as you follow me, that I will take care of your needs, that I will minister to you, that I will put the pieces back together. Just trust me. Trust that I want to do this for you. Come and follow me. And what he would have seen if he had just continued to follow Jesus is someone who loved perfectly. You know that, that you never see Jesus walking up to people and just calling out their sin. He, he meets them in love. That doesn't mean that he doesn't address sin. But he's more concerned about the identity than he is about the mistakes. And what he's saying is, this: I want to meet you in such a way that you're going to be drawn to follow me, that you will see something different, and then I will now have place in your life to put the pieces back together. It's about trust. It's about trusting God will do what He said He will do. But it's hard. It's hard. I, I don't like to talk about the broken places of my life. Pretty sure you don't either. But God's okay with your brokenness. Not in that he wants you to stay in that place, but in that he knows 
By the way, you can't hide from God. Whatever you think you are hiding from God, He He knows. <laughs> he knows. And that might not make you feel better, but it's just reality. See, we're no different from that rich young man in so many ways because we come to Jesus and go, okay, God, just tell me what I need to do. Even as a pastor, I have people come to me and say, hey, pastor, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Just map out some clear steps, some check boxes for me to hit so I can just get on with this. It doesn't work that way. Love God and love people. Trust that He wants to move in your life. Start thinking about, hey, what are the things that have a hold on my life and prevent me from going broken before Jesus saying, God, these are the parts of my life I need help with. And by the way, he gives us each other. You might be in a place where you go, yeah, I have that conversation with Jesus all the time. And that's great. But maybe it's that time to have that conversation with someone you trust as well. James chapter 5 says that we are to confess our sins one to another and pray that we would be made whole. And then he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Isn't it amazing? We love to quote the second part. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Come on, let's storm the gates. And what he's saying, no, 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 no. It's about relationship. It's about exercising the love of Jesus in a place where people are broken and you meet them in their brokenness. And you say, Thank you for trusting me enough to share about your brokenness. Hey, let's, let's bring this before the Father together. And let's watch God put the pieces back together in a way that we could never do in our own strength. It's all about relationship. This young man was so tied to his things and to his identity in the world that he wasn't ready to leave and follow Jesus. The reality is that we end up being in that same place so often that we come to our faith and we say yes to Jesus and then we trade what God has given us as a gift and start thinking we need to earn it and that we need to perform. Now believe me, and God's word is clear about this, I'm not saying that there's no place for dis discipline and that there's no place for hard work in this. There absolutely is. But that discipline, that, that work flows from the understanding that we are already perfect, not that we're working to be perfect. That the works of my life flow out of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ and what he has done and secured for me. Then the action happens. And I believe one of the lies that the enemy wants to just keep whispering in our ears is that God isn't happy with you yet. God doesn't, isn't pleased with what you're, God, you're close. Oh no, you're a little, it's like that, as when you're a kid and you're like, you're hotter, you're hot, oh no, you're colder, you're colder, no, you're hotter, you're hotter. Anyone ever play that? Oh, yeah. You're trying to find that item? I hated that game. Ah, oh, just tell me where it is already. 
God doesn't play games with us. He's just saying, this is what you have. Here it is. Now stand in it. Receive it. Choose to engage with me. Follow me. And he says, and all of these other things will fall into place. Philippians chapter 4. We'll close with Paul. He says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a work, a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who does the work? God does. We, we, have, we respond to that. But, but, but listen, God does the work. He who began a good work in you, he who set you blameless before the Father, he who justified your life, he who did all of the heavy lifting, he who became the perfect sacrifice. He says, listen, I started the process and I'm faithful to complete the process. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to leave you out to dry. I'm not going to start something and walk away and go, hey, I'll get back to this later. God doesn't do half projects. There's a bunch of them in my garage. But God doesn't do that. What he's saying is, I love you enough, I love you so much more than you even know that what I've started in you, I will continue and I will keep perfecting you and I will keep making you holy and I will keep doing a work in your life because I'm faithful to finish what I started. And so it's not about striving. Being made perfect is not about you making yourself perfect. It's about stopping and going, God, I just simply receive from you what you've already done. Praying a simple prayer that would just say, Lord, would you break the ties of my past and the things in my life that are keep keeping me stuck. Those things that preventing, prevent me from fully trusting you. Believing that you will do what you said you would do. We're going to talk next week about some next steps, some things that we can apply and put into action in our lives. But I want to end at this point. I want to just stop because I feel we've got enough to think about. My prayer this morning is that you understand, that you get a greater glimpse, that you know as you leave this place that you are perfect. I had to, I, I, in the name of this sermon, I, I reworked it a dozen times because every time I write something, I'm like, oh, no, wait, that, that sounds actually the opposite of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> One of those was pursuing perfection, and I'm like, no, but that, no, that doesn't work because we're made perfect. You're perfect. Because of Jesus, you're perfect. I don't, I don't hardly ever do this, so just bear with me this morning, but would you turn to someone next to you and just tell them, you're perfect. Let's stand together on that note. Some of you are chuckling. I'm not sure why. <laughs> hey, 
as we close, I want to invite the worship team to come up. Um, I, want to, I want to give a special hello to Tabitha. Hi. This is Isaac and Cherie's sister. She is visiting. Would you wave your hand nice and high so everyone can see you? She is from Nairobi, Kenya, um, and uh, is a part of Jacaranda Christian Fellowship, part of the, the leadership there. Uh, we've known each other for a few years, even, even before I met Isaac. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but she's just visiting in town and just wanted to say you're, you're most welcome here. We're so glad. Please give her a hug today and send our greetings uh, back to your wonderful church family back in Nairobi and let them know that we love them and uh, just an honor to have you with us today. Can we uh, bow our heads before the Lord? Father, this morning we recognize that there's a sensitivity about talking about when we talk about our brokenness. God, there's those parts of us that we'd rather not pay attention to, rather not look at. Yet like the rich young man, we know that they're there. God, that even in our own hearts, there's those words, what do I still lack? But we recognize unlike that rich young man, because of what Jesus went to do, Jesus, because of what you did at the cross, we don't have to ask that anymore. That when it comes to eternal life and it comes to our relationship with you, we lack nothing. And so, Lord, we call out the lies of the enemy that would keep us in a place of doubting. And God, I speak and I declare freedom over every heart and mind in regards to our identity in who you are and what you've done and where you have placed us in regards to right standing before the Father. God, I thank you that you are faithful to take the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together in such a way that the result is more beautiful and more valuable and more precious to you than even what was before. Thank you, God, that you are in the business of restoring broken lives, broken hearts, broken relationships, broken bodies. Lord, we ask for healing in this place this morning. We ask for healing in every area and every expression of brokenness in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a supernatural work of, of bonding and restoring those broken places. We give you praise for that. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to follow you. Help us. Help us to walk that way. Help us to receive what it is that you've done for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.